When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Today, I am joined by Jordan Hutchinson, Director of Partnerships at XYPN. Hello, Jordan. How's it going? Great to have you on the show today. Uh, I know some of your work, certainly love what XYPN is doing. And I, I know you're a recent addition to the team, which they have to be excited about. I certainly was. Could you give us a history of what brought you up to this point and what you're doing right now at XYPN? Sure. Yeah. So I initially started in the business on the academic side at uh, the University of Alabama and then worked my way through the industry as an advisor. Found my time in working at a couple large RIAs and then found myself in the tech world for a little bit, and then uh, actually met a planner that used to work with me. We caught up and he introduced me to XY. I always knew of XY, but I didn't know as much as I, as I wanted to or as much as I know now. And he introduced me to the team and said, hey, you should really check them out more often. And so I looked it up and there was a, an opportunity there. And next thing you know, I meet Maddie. I met the whole team and uh, found myself there. So I, I really enjoyed it. And so that's how I ended up in the partnerships role, working with uh, Maddie, Alan, Michael, and uh, all of the member success team. Now, today we want to talk about the human side of financial planning. And what really caught me as you and I spoke the first time is your in-depth understanding of the human side. And it wasn't just the technical understanding, and we'll talk about your dissertation coming up, but it was an experience you had as a financial advisor and it related to your family. And it really, I think, hit the light bulb and turned it on where all of a sudden you realize this is way more than about money. Would you mind sharing that story? For sure. That story, I, I wish that I was in the industry longer where I could have realized more of it. But that, that story comes from my, my father, actually. So my father was in his, uh, his mid-60s. He'd been working for a pharmaceutical, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies for a long time. He was a very youthful man in his, in his 60s, and he, I would have assumed that people would have thought he was much younger, but he, uh, he was doing exceptionally well, and it wasn't so much about the money, but it came to the time where his, uh, his manager said, hey, you're doing great. You know, we love you. You've been with us for so long, but we're going to have to give you, you know, we're going to have to let you go because you're making more than all of your counterparts. You're making more than the managers. You become expensive, and you know, we're having to make some cuts. And so we're going to have to let you go. And of course, at that time, it, it wasn't, you know, my brother and I were both out, we were out doing fine on our own, no cost, we were off the so called payroll. And so uh, my father wanted, was doing it because he loved it. He, my, my mother was the same way. They both loved their careers. And that was truly a big part of their identity. And so at first, I never, recognized it until I started doing more research on it and then actually started to see it for myself going through some transitions, leaving being a college athlete to having to go into the real world and get a job. And uh, I started to really notice it in my father that he missed that. He missed the routine. He missed the connections, the relationships that he had with physicians all throughout the Southeast. And it, it was difficult for him. And I saw that difficulty, but on the positive side of it, as I've reflected back and as we've had some conversations at that same time, his mother, who was in her nineties, fell ill and she needed a caregiver. And so my father became the primary caregiver for her because 
he was lucky enough to be in a financial situation where he didn't need to find another job. But even though he wanted to keep working, he was able to retire at that time. So the fact that he was able to become the caregiver for her in her last two years of her life, it ended up being a positive. He got to spend almost every day with her. He got to have those very heart to heart conversations when different things in life were going on with his, his brothers and sisters making those decisions. He was the executor of the estate. And so that time spent with his mother was none other. He could never get those years back. And so even though it was such a, a rough time of his identity being ripped from him from being in that career, whenever we looked back and actually I've talked to him about it when I've done some of this research is that he said that it was a blessing in disguise because he got to spend all that time with her. And, you know, those last years, you just never can get back with her. So I think that uh, internally that was something that I just noticed so much. And I wish I had more understanding for, and I wish more advisors had that to notice that there's these transitions that we go through, even though they're rough and difficult that sometimes whenever they come out on the other side, it was actually, there's a lot of positive to it. When I was younger, I certainly underestimated the impact of stopping work, retiring, and that identity change. Actually, right. underestimating it wouldn't even be accurate. I was clueless. So I, I, was, I knew the financial planning side, did not know the human side, didn't understand that. Read a little bit on it, always loved the human side, but really didn't have a grasp of it. But you're really diving deep into this. So you're not just looking at what are identity changes and how does the mind work? How do people make financial decisions? You're actually doing a doctorate right now. Can you talk about what you're studying? Yeah, so I'm studying flow theory and work engagement on financial planners. And so I'm, I'm truly looking at what their fulfillment and the engagement and then adding another uh, little variable into the place of their age, because something unique with our industry is we've always heard that the average age of an advisor is 51. And so after doing some further research, found out that the average rookie advisor is actually 37, which is just wildly unique. And when I found that data set, because most people, when they start a career, they're in their 20s. Why is our industry so unique that someone has almost lived through a lot of transitions in life? When you're almost 40, there's a lot of things you've seen probably. So that's really looking at the flow and the engagement, the fulfillment, and how that impacts financial planners is what I'm looking into. Can you define flow? Yeah. So flow theory, the, the way I, I frame it is it's the optimal experience of engagement in a deep and a deep absorption in a task or an activity that you have clear goals and it's intrinsically motivating and it's enjoyable. So that's a very long, almost sounds like a good run on sentence, but the, the common language would be being in the zone. So what task or activities do you feel like you're in the zone where you lose track of time, you have a good balance of skill and challenge, and that's to you. So uniquely to you where you know, I use the example because I've played sports in my life is when you're playing a sport, you lose track of time because it's so enjoyable. Or if you're a musician, you know, you're, you're playing the piano or you're playing an instrument, you find so much fulfillment in doing that. You can also do that in those leisure activities, but also in work. A lot of us find so much fulfillment in our jobs, which that ties into the identity piece. But at the same time, we find so much fulfillment at work, which is where a lot of us find that career where we're really engaged in our job and fulfilled. 
So if someone isn't in that flow state, how does that impact their life? So if it's the, the beautiful part about flow is it, it's, it's so fulfilling. It has even spillover effects where it gives you energy in your personal life. So if you're getting flow at work, then you're going to have more energy and more happiness in your personal life. But if you're not in those flow states, or you're not having that fulfillment, you could be in burnout. One of the, you know, the correlations directly on the opposite correlation of flow is burnout. So people that are not having those flow experiences either in their life or in their work, they're probably burned out at work or they're not as fulfilled in life because they're not having or doing those activities that are fulfilling. So how about a nugget or two from a financial planner's perspective, as you learned about flow and, and obviously you want to apply it to our business. I've had enough conversations with you knowing that's sure. where your brain's going with this. It's not just some academic stimulation of, oh, this stuff's fascinating. Not right. that we don't have plenty of that in our lives and some of us geek out, but I know you're pragmatic about this. You're figuring out how can I connect this to the advisor community? How about a nugget or two on this is how we can apply this? For sure. The applicate, you're exactly right. The application of it is probably one of the most, I would say salient things in my mind, because there's so many, even friends of the industry that are so brilliant that they have great ideas, but it's all right. So I'm an advisor and being an advisor, I can empathize. All right, Jordan, that's a cool idea, but how do I actually apply that tomorrow in my practice? Like I, I want to read about it, but I can't do that. And so one of the, the applications of it is when, an, when a client goes through a transition in life, let's say that you know, kids are, they're an empty nester. That sounds like a positive, you know, experience, you know, you're going to have all this time. Kids are going to be not, you're not going to be, you know, chauffeuring them or they're worrying about where they're at or, you know, at college or wherever. How, what, what is your task and activities to find fulfillment? You know, what are you doing that you find fulfillment in, or you find happiness in doing? And that can even, I'll give you an actual experience that uh, when I was as an advisor and working with a firm, we had a woman that actually uh, she was widowed and it was abrupt. And once we were handling a lot of the financial side of it and made those immediate decisions that we had to do, we took her through a conversation and an exercise to find, you know, what are some of the activities that she was doing prior that she missed because her husband was gone. She missed him dearly. She really missed knitting. It was such a simple task, but that was something that she had forgotten about that. She found so much fulfillment. She had, grandkids that she built or she, you know, knitted things for, and just, she found herself losing track of time. I'll be honest. I have no idea how to knit. So the challenge and the skill to it is very difficult. So for me, I would not find flow in it, but she found a lot of, you know, fulfillment in that. So just a small activity opening and broadening that scope of what there was out there. She found a lot of fulfillment in that. And we built on that over time of different tasks and things that she could do. And that's just one application. It seems so uh, simplistic, but it really helped her through that transition to find that there was new activities, new routines and new things that she could do after her uh, spouse passed away. When we talk about being in a rhythm, um, I, I wrote a book with Susan Bradley and we've done some podcasts together. And, and one that we did was talking about the four aspects of really finding a rhythm in life and, and an activity that really gives you uh, just a great sense of fulfillment. Then it was something that's routine. You do it regularly, something that's social. Uh, right. It's got to be challenging. It's got to be measurable. Uh, knitting with friends, that's going to that's gonna be on the, the list there. 
But right. what I found is, is I bring this up in conversations with clients and we'll talk about all types of things. But when I ask them what they're, what they're up to, what they've been doing, if they mention an activity that has those four aspects, I'll reinforce that and let them know, this is why this is awesome. I love hearing this. I'm going to write this down. People just light up when they know that they're now doing something that has benefits beyond just, gee, I enjoyed this. And uh, right. it was just a conversation recently with a widow where most of the conversation was uh, probably not too exciting for her. But when she told me about her most recent activity and I responded with that, she was just so happy, happy as could be that she's doing something. It's part of moving forward and healing and people really gravitate towards that. So um, how do you think we can do more of that as financial planners? Well, one thing before we jump onto that, it made me think of is uh, when you speak about the activities and like speaking to them as finding a task, you know, to tie, to tie back to my father, once he retired, one of the things that we found and he's not a client of mine because I'm not an advisor anymore, but I work with so many, I work with his advisor and uh, one of those things was we found that now he runs the farmer's market at his church. He has, he loves being that resource where he, you know, can share his ideas and he loves working with all those. He actually became a master gardener. And that was a, you know, a lot of courses that he went through. So working even with my own, like, like I've told you before, a little me search and doing my research is, you know, testing it out with my, my own family, which might have its positives and negatives. But uh, finding that task. And so I literally found a new routine for him on Thursdays. You can't get in touch with him. He's there all day. So but that's good. And he finds a lot of fulfillment in that. But for financial planners, I think one of the biggest things is, is just being aware of that. I, I hope to build out more. This is, you know, the, the crux of my uh, research is once it's over, I hope to build out some more resources for it because this is a conversation that not as I know that you're aware of, and uh, you and Susan Bradley have spoken heavily about this, but there's a lot of people that aren't even aware of it. And I think even with younger planners, just as much as advisors that are working in the retiree space, with these transitions, there's so much opportunity to broaden and build on those conversations of, you know, what, what task or activities are you finding fulfillment on? Where, how can you use your resources to, you, to do that? Is there you know, when you look at your resources of your wealth, your time, your money, your relationships, your wisdom, all these things that you have, how can you find more flow in your life by applying those resources into your day? Because there's, there's so much opportunity with small tasks and there's just a lot of value that advisors can use by just opening that conversation and literally just being aware of it. I hope to build more tools for it, but that's one of the biggest things that just hasn't been talked about. And with flow, one of my favorite things is it's so ubiquitous. It's been found in all different genders, cultures, all over the, all over the world. There's not many things in psychology that we can say, Hey, this is pretty broad or in any kind of theory. And so it's beautiful that we can look at that transitions. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before transitions are not the same for everyone, but there are a lot of similarities and a lot of people go through similar things. So finding that support and those relationships, there's a lot of value from doing that together, finding all of that. And so just being focused on those transitions, once they're moving through it, how are you finding fulfillment now that life has changed? So, Within XYPN, as you're working with advisors, and I know you're, you're real big on trying to help some of this information move through the community, which is wonderful. Have you found some advisors that maybe love the technical side of it and 
just just don't want to get into that or have some resistance to it? So surprisingly, in my career, I've seen a lot of advisors initially uh, be skeptical of it. But then as soon as they hit that relationship or that client engagement, where it's something that's beyond the numbers, and they can't just automatically fall into the financial discussion, they really start to go, all right, Jordan, I need to learn more about this because either, you know, you got the side of, you know, the action intention gap where they're not actually implementing their, um, their recommendations, or they're going through an event that they can't get them They're you know, they're just almost in this shock or deer in the headlights because so much is going on in life. And so from XY, I think we're a little unique that I have actually received a lot of advisors that want more that they're, you know, they're constantly searching for more. They're extremely educated. A lot of our members, I I make the joke, they're like Michael Kitsis in the aspect that they've got alphabet soup after their name because they're always educating themselves, always looking to learn more. And I think that's amazing. And I think that a lot of our advisors are in that same aspect that they're starting to step back. They've worked enough that they're like, okay, this is something I need to be aware of because the human side of money is so important and it ties into the financial side. There's no way of doing one without the other. And so I'd say some of the earlier days I got some pushback, but then as soon as they found that roadblock, they came running to me and like, all right, give me the, give me the crash course on this. But with our members, we've had a pretty good, uh, pretty good rapport of people saying, all right, Jordan, give me a little more of this. Give me some more. I need some more of your time. And I'm like, all right, I only have limited capacity, but I do love that our members are very open to trying new things and really see the value in the human side of it. Well, that, that's a great setup, Jordan. So if I want a little more and I want you to give me a little more, how about a shout out to some of the people out there or some of the services that are doing good work on the human side? Yeah. So some of the training that I've gone through, and I love to test things out myself to just see uh, instead of taking, so I can actually feel it and actually feel the experience. I'm a big believer in some of the behavioral side. It's hard to sell at times. So until you experience it or you understand it, it's really hard to empathize with people and to, to tell them what they're going to experience and how they're going to feel. But some that I've gone through and some that I recommend is uh, there's one, there's the Kinder Institute. So Kinder Life Planning has always been around. He's done a great job with, he has a certain technique. Um, Susan Bradley's Certified Financial Transitionist is one that I've seen a lot of growth in. A lot of our members have started to talk about this one. And even I've seen other countries have reached out to me after my presentations, asking if I can tell more about this. Um, Money Quotient is another one that I've heard that gives a little bit of a process to it. It's been a good one. And then some from like the CFP board, they've really expanded. So in March of next year, they will have the first time the CFP exam has client psychology or financial psychology on the exam. They have a program that's out of Wharton. And I was lucky enough to be one of the uh, inaugural groups to take the client psychology program that's built from CFP board. And so that's an aggregate of they take some of the positive psychology uh, that's very renowned from UPenn, which is Marty Siegelman, the PERMA model, um, Dr. Rivich, she has a great one that's called uh, Hunt for the Good Stuff, where she talks about gratitude. That's a great class. Uh, Dr. Klontz spoke on that one. Um, some of the great researchers down at the University of Georgia 
are in that group. So they, they give you really a broad, they give you some financial therapist. So there's a lot of good resources out there. And the Financial Therapy Institute has, you know, started their own journal and they're starting to build a lot of things. So from the education side, there's some very good people in the space building things. Some of them are smaller, but it's, uh, it's on the up. It's good to see all the activity out there. I, I try to remind myself that understanding financial planning, the technical side is necessary for a client to trust me because they need for competence. Sure. But on the human side, I have to understand them. That's more psychology. That's more relational. It doesn't have to do with the numbers. And if I don't have the combo, it's going to be hard for them to trust me. So I, I think the whole industry sees that. Um, obviously, I'm not the first one, nowhere near the first one and not the only one. There's, there's a right. lot of people like you and me out there. We get it. We're trying to learn more about it, trying to figure it out. Glad you're in the business. Glad you're working on it. Love the work you do at XYPN. Jordan Hutchinson, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.